things trying to throw me off. Oh, you're serious? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, well, I'm going to read a lot more than I actually had planned on. But So I'm, uh, tonight's scripture is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Who is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he and he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are now by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who, shall, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this Advent we are asking the question, where, where do we find hope? And we're going back into the uh, biblical stories and uh, asking, how does Jesus bring hope to the different characters in these stories? Last week we looked at Mary and we noticed that she finds hope when she discerns the will of God for her life and readjusts to it. And in this story, we find the wise men finding hope as well. They, they begin in a faraway land and they end up rejoicing with exceedingly great joy, filled with joy and promise and, and hope for their lives. So what happens to them? Well, this is an important question, I think. Um, where does a Christian find hope? There's a great hymn that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And uh, I, I think that's a great summary of how the Bible would answer that question. But what does that mean tomorrow? Um, where, where do you find hope tomorrow morning? Does it mean, well, I know that because of Christ and his righteousness, I'll be embraced by the Father when I die and I'll spend eternity with him. Is that, is that the Christian hope? Yes, it certainly is. It's the core of our hope. But is there any more to it like before that? <laughs> or does it, we just kind of cash in afterwards? Well, 
obviously, the whole story of Advent is that we are people of hope. So one of the things that we're reflecting on is not just the hope that we have when we die, but the hope that we can enjoy right now, regardless of what you're wrestling with tonight. And the wise men, I think, can teach us a little bit about where to find that hope. Uh, There's a great painting that I saw once, and I couldn't find it, but it's of all these wise men with their charts and books stacked all over the place in this kind of musty study, and uh, they're all peering into these books and looking at these astrological charts because somehow they're finding in the midst of all this the Savior. I've always wondered, how does that happen? What, what was the clue that, that gave, gave them that insight? And one of the things that, that had to be going on is as, as they are excelling in their religion, right? They're, they're, we know that Magi would have been a leader, a spiritual leader in that culture. They're, they're very devout. They're very successful. They've kind of reached the height of their uh, career and vocation and status. And yet, with all these books and astro- astrological charts on the table, they realize there's something missing. We haven't we haven't found everything that there is to find. Our hope is put in the wrong place. You know, it's funny how you read these stories year after year. One of the things I love about the Bible, and every year you kind of get something different out of them. And this year I was thinking about the story, and I most identified with the wise men. I'm not quite sure how to, how to put this, but if you came into my study many days of the week, <laughs> you would see something similar. You'd see books piled all over the place and articles and podcasts and links to audiobooks. And those are the ways that I've tried to find God. And you know, they do a pretty good job of pointing to him. But here's what I'm learning this year, and maybe for a while. They're not enough. Great books, great sermons can point to the Messiah, but they're, they're not enough. And I, and I find myself identifying with these guys around the table with all their tools, realizing... I, th- I think I missed something here. I think maybe my hope has been put in my pursuit of knowledge, my ability to control knowledge, to understand things, to figure out things. That's all good. It gets you close to Jesus. But maybe there's a greater hope. Maybe it's time to leave those beside for a little bit and keep moving. And so that, I think, is what the wise men do they realize that something is, is missing? They realize that, that they have put their hope in uh, something that is not fulfilling them, and, and we don't know exactly why, but it's because a star comes, a sign comes, and, and, and sort of awakens in them this longing to see Christ, to meet Christ, to, to, to find God in a way they've never found Him before. 
I wonder if you might be there tonight. I wonder if maybe God has sent you a sign. I don't know what it would look like, but maybe there's just something going on in your life tonight where you realize, I think I may have put my hope in the wrong place. Maybe I'm hoping in things that I think will move me towards God, but don't. Maybe I'm hoping in things that actually keep me from him. And so these guys set off on this pilgrimage, this journey. In a way, it's a parable of the spiritual life, right? It's a, they're probably somewhere from Persia. It's at least 800-mile walk, very risky, very dangerous, could have taken years in that culture because they realize that they're missing something. And they go to worship Christ. Now, if I were ever to write a play, and I won't, but if I ever were, I think I would call it The Wise Man Who Stayed Home. Because that probably would have been me. Because I'm envisioning this, uh, this scene where they're all around the table, and they've got all the charts out, and they're all agreeing, yeah, we're kind of missing something. Yeah, well, gosh, it seems like God is leading us. There's something more. I, I, I think we should go on this journey. What do you think, everybody? I suspect that one of them said, I got enough right here. And stayed home. I just wonder if some of us are in that place tonight, too. You're sensing a calling to go on a journey. You are sensing an invitation to meet Christ in a new way. You're sensing an opportunity to deepen with him. But the journey scares you too much. Maybe you're afraid of what would be exposed out there on the trail. Maybe you've gotten real comfortable and familiar with your life back in Persia. Maybe you're holding on to a hidden sin. Something dark that's destroying you, and you know it, and you hate it, but you've believed the lie that if you give it up, you'll die. So you stay home. Don't be that one. So the wise men come to worship Jesus, and this is where I think the whole story is going. Where do they find hope and joy True worship. You know, I was so glad Mary pointed out that definition of hope. You know, it's the confident expectation of something that you want in the future. And there's a problem with that, right? (laughs) You can't have it. (laughs) You can't, there's no confident expectation of anything in the future other than Jesus in heaven. Other than that, you're, Different words come to mind. You're in trouble <laughs> if you're waiting for hope. That con- you're confident you'll get what you want. As a theologian, Mick Jagger once said, <laughs> "You can't always get what you want." Young people, Google him. Um, <laughs> you can hear him now in nursing homes all over the land. Um, so they're on the way to worship him. The journey begins. And what happens? Herod hears hears about it. Herod is threatened. 
And Herod, I think, represents a, all the demonic powers that come against the Christ. If you ever, it's an interesting way to look at the gospel of the spiritual warfare. Is from day one, the devil is fighting against him. And Herod, I think, represents what Paul would call the powers, these, these demonic, dark forces that are at work in the world, and they want to destroy our hope. They want to keep us from hoping. They want to keep us from worshiping Christ. And here, they're all embodied in Herod. And Herod, interestingly, what does he do? He doesn't start off with an army and an attack. What does he do? He pretends to be religious. To me, this is just a sickening irony that the first major threat against the Christ comes through religion. Oh. So he gets the priests together, and then he says, I want to go worship him, guys. If you haven't seen the unusual tale of Mary and Joseph, there's a beautiful scene in there where Mary's kind of confused about, well, maybe we should go. I mean, this could have been the death of the, of the Magi. It would have certainly disrupted their worship. So if hope comes from worship, then Satan's number one strategy will be to destroy your worship. And one thing I take from this passage is that one of the things he will do to keep you from simple and true worship is hurt you through organized religion. Three most darkest times in my life the times I felt evil the most, the times I felt demonic power the most. One, uh, a 33-hour exorcism. Mark remembers this. That didn't end well. Uh, two, I was in Vietnam on a mission trip, and we were in, a, in, in some part where there had been a massacre, and I have never felt uh, palpable darkness on earth like that in my life. It was the oddest thing. We all began to turn against each other. We all began to fight. We all began to bicker. It was just horrible. And the third was a church conflict that I was a part of. Not an innocent part of. My sins contributed to it. And of those three encounters with darkness, that wound has hurt my worship more than anything else. And so I say to those of you who have been wounded by the shadow side of the church, by me, by leadership, by doctrine falsely preached that shames and judges, by conflicts that were unresolved, That's one of the ways the evil one wants to shut down your worship and rob your hope. This isn't a sermon on healing from religious abuse, but I think what you have to do is identify it, forgive it, and get out of Jerusalem. And that's what they do. So one of the things you might just think of, it's not a real happy thought, but you might think of it, has the shadow side of the church poisoned your worship? It's, it's worth a good conversation with a friend if it has.
Well, the wise men finally do come to Jesus. And it's interesting, they start off with the star, right? But in the middle section, they lose the star. And now it says they find the star again, and they move their way to Jesus. And I thought that is very, very much like the Christian journey, isn't it? Is it you, can, you can get on a path, you, you, can, you can start to move towards Christ. Maybe, maybe you're like me and you've realized, I put my hope in, in, in the wrong things. There's a way for me to move deeper towards Christ. And I'm not making this a before-after thing. I'm always trying to move towards Christ. But lately, particularly, the Lord is showing me my idolatry of the book. And he is saying, for a while, put them down and move towards me. And he even, I think, asked me to fast during Lent from books. And I wrote in my journal, no way. <laughs> so we're, we're working that out. <laughs> we're having conversations um, to, to be continued. So, have you lost sight of the star? Have you been having a conversation with Herod? Has, have the powers, the systems of destruction in our world tripped you up and you've lost the trail? You've lost sight of the star? That might be a great prayer tonight. It's just, Jesus, show me the star again. Point me back to you. I'm lost. Well, that's what happens to them. And they, of course, find him and they go into the house and they fall down and they worship him and they open these wonderful, valuable treasures and then their hearts explode with joy. You know, if, if there was one thing I wish we could change about this room, there's actually a number of things. Well, what, one would be, I'd, I'd love to have kneelers in an altar. Um, I really miss that. There, there's something about using your body to worship Christ. It just is. I can't explain it, but it's like your soul follows your body. I wish we had kneelers. And I, I, in yoga, when they ask me to kneel, I, I have to get four towels to put them on my knees. So I can understand why we can't kneel on this uh, mungy floor. But there's something about your body in response to Christ. And so these wise men experience true worship and it fills them with joy. You know, some, we were talking with somebody earlier this week and they said, well, what do you think true worship is? You know, short definition is, I, it's not so much about a form. I think it is a personal encounter with Jesus that overwhelms you. I think that's what true worship is. And it can come in lots of different ways, right? You might do this exercise. I did it. Think of a Think of a few times when you've experienced true worship. And it'll be different for all of us, right? There's not one right way. I'm thinking one way for me um, was in a monastery. And they had this hour before the evening service where you just go sit in the chapel in total silence as the sun comes down and, and there's a cross and I don't know what it was. It was, it was on a Thursday on one of my retreats. I just felt so near Jesus. Then I, uh, I, I think of, a, of another experience. It was very different. Um, it was a, many years ago. We were 
in a room maybe a little bigger than this. It was a very powerful worship experience. I don't remember what I was preaching on, but it was the oddest thing. It it felt like the gravity all went out of the room. I started to feel somewhat dizzy. And it was like the presence of God fell in the worship. And all I remember, I was trying to remember the event, all I remember was that I was praying for people after the service, and they started to all fall over as I prayed for them, and I couldn't stand up myself. I just remember feeling like, Wow. And then last summer in Banff, by the fourth day out there, I just felt like the trees were praising God. It was just stunning. Then the last one I thought of, and this is an odd one, but you remember when the Confederate 28 were supposed to come in last uh, fall in, in protest, and we didn't know what was going to happen, and all that horrible stuff that happened up in the uh, Virginia, and, and, and I, I was really thankful for the way you responded. Uh, on the weekend of the, of the rally, some of us were praying up in the chapel. Uh, I know Mark and David were actually on the lines in the midst of it praying. Another group were praying over at the Campus House of Prayer. Another uh, of us went over the night before and circled and put our hands around it, black and white, and prayed. I felt very close to Jesus in the middle of that. So where have you experienced true worship? It's probably different than me. But that, that's a place you may want to go find again. Well, there's a little verse at the end of the story that It's just so beautiful. Verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I think when you worship Jesus purely and you're overwhelmed by him and your life is given over fully to him, many times you go home another way. When, When he starts to break into your life, you know, you start to dream, whatever it, however God communicates to you, and He really starts to mess with your life. The way that you go forward is is very different than the way you got there, and you begin to discern a calling. That often, and I think we need to, if you study calling in Scripture, very rarely does God say. Beloved, go do what everyone else is doing, thus saith the Lord. And write a journal on it. Most of the time, it's, Beloved, go another way. I was sitting with a friend just recently. We were talking about this, and God was very clearly saying, Go another way. And finally, at the end, he just broke down and wept. I said, I said what, we were praying. He just broke down and wept. I said, why are you weeping? He said, I'm, I'm terrified of what people are going to say when I go the other way. That's why worship is so important. <laughs> You've got to have that fire. You've got to have that personal connection with Jesus Christ. Well, just want to end with something we began with, that wise man that stayed behind. I, uh, you know, if I was writing this play, what would it be like when the wise men come back? 
and there he is. And he missed the whole thing. Is that your life? Don't stay behind. And especially, you know, if something you think is hidden and dark and ugly, and that's why you're staying behind. Because if you let anybody know, you'd feel judged and you need this to stay alive and yada, yada, yada. Please, beloved, please, please, please. Don't hold on to the anvil that is drowning you. Please tell a friend. Come on Monday night and get some prayer. Come up afterwards. Come talk to me. Send me an email. Don't hold on to something hidden. If the star is shining over your life and saying, come on, there's something more. Let's go on a journey. Beloved, you say... Let's pray.